Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you for all the ways that you've blessed us with life and with faith. And Lord, I just ask that this program would be a blessing and an encouragement for those who are listening, those who walk with us as we attempt to live our life of faith, be missionary disciples in this world. And Lord, just live well. We want to live well. We want to live holy lives, lives that honor you, lives that are worthy, lives that bear fruit for your kingdom. Lord, that's what we want. More than other things, that's what we want, Lord. And I ask special blessings upon all married couples and upon all parents, especially as we navigate and help shepherd our kids through different ages and stages in life. Lord, continue to give us wisdom. Help us to have a a fresh start. Help us to have a horizon that we can expect new things. We can expect fresh things. And that you are with us in the midst of everything. And that you are with us to um, bring redemption, bring new life. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Carrie, I want to say welcome back, not only to the program, but welcome home. It's good to be home. Yeah. So, Carrie, you took four four of our daughters, um, the two oldest at home, and the two, well, two of the youngest, two of the three youngest at home down to Oregon to visit uh, our daughter, Mary Grace, in Newburgh. And that was a really interesting thing because it created a, a... a different dynamic. I don't think we've ever kind of broken apart the family like that before, where I was left with the two boys at home and Luciana. And how clean was the house while we were gone? I had, I just had to keep affirming her. Like, I thought that I was the cleaner in the house. No like, way. <laughs> oh my goodness. This, this girl, she is 11 years old. No, 10, 10 years old. She'll be 11 next month. And this girl is just not only, not only is she relentless about like getting the house clean, she is relentless about getting on anyone else in the home who is not picking up after themselves. Wow. Well, that only shows up when she thinks she has a fighting chance. So since I took the two biggest mess makers with me, that would be me and Mary Catherine. (laughs) <laughs> I was wondering, like, who are these two biggest mess makers? I am one I of the top. I never knew that you would have put yourself in that category. But yeah, I actually I agree. unfold, undo, empty out everything when I'm creating or doing some activity. I mean, you see me after I do the bills in our bedroom. There's just like piles here and things spread out there. And I need to see everything so it all gets laid out. And then I have a really hard time making decisions. So it's like that decision fatigue. Like, should I put the papers here? Should I put them over there? Should I put, where should I put these gift cards? I have to still write this letter. So I kind of live in the space and like let it surround me. And I don't know. But so Luciana actually had a fighting chance where I'm like, oh, she's going to be on those boys so tight. And I always knew she'd be the, have the cleanest house, the most orderly house of all the kids. Well, and I want to find out why. And so just to kind of tee up where we're headed in the show, show, folks, in the first part of the program, we're going to talk a bit about family dynamics and how things like we experienced this past weekend can give you a kind of a privileged access to insights into your kids and how, and even into your parenting and how that might, in fact, um, provide for you like uh, some new senses about how to take initiative and what to do in your family to help them to, well, really flourish just because of this is how God made them. In the second part of the program, we're going to talk about some of the spiritual insights that have been particularly alive for us in in these, in these recent weeks. And uh, a couple of books. For me, the book is The Gift of Faith, Father Dodger, a book that we've talked about in Sound Insight. And Carrie, you're going to draw from uh, a couple of quotes from the Father Spitzer book, which we'll also be covering uh, in our next book club program, the second part of it with Father Lewis and Father Nagel. The third part of the program, I'm going to give some updates about our own healthy eating lifestyle and, and again, linking it to faith, especially around fasting and insights connected to that. And then uh, the last is um, talk a bit about schooling. Like, I, I don't know how you guys do it, but how do you pay for college? And just some creative college options that folks are doing and um, loan 
questions and things of that nature. So that, that's in our fourth part of the program today. So we've got a lot to cover. I'm excited to dive in. Kerry, Socrates, one of his most famous quotes that leads into his dialogues, uh, the Socratic dialogues in the, in the dialogues of uh, Plato, is um, Know Thyself. And Know Thyself was written on the, um, uh, on the outside of the temple of Apollo at Delphi. And essentially it meant, know that you are not God. Know that you are about to enter into a place where you are not the one in power and authority. And, and he took it to mean something even more broadly, which was, if you want to live well in this world, you need to have some fundamental insight into who you are. If you don't know who you are, you won't really be able to live well in the situations and circumstances you face. So is that our jobs as parents to help our kids know themselves? Because I, how else do you know yourself? So, you know, it's one of those things where if you immediately apply the lens of faith and theology, it is by seeking Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ not only reveals the Father to us, he also reveals us to ourselves. Like Jesus' encounter with Simon said, you're Peter. Jesus breaking into Saul's life says, you're Paul. I, I just have to interrupt you, Tom. <laughs> I'm going to push back. You're saying you get to know yourself through prayer, but that is like those who are seeking it or they questioning it or they're wondering about themselves. Because I know a lot of good Christians and, I, and good people that I don't necessarily feel like this person knows themselves well. And I can look at myself now and go, wow, I see myself so differently. And I thought I really knew myself in my 20s. And then you know, in my 30s, I was like a little too busy to even think about it. But now that I'm in my 50s, I'm like, I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't even know. It's like, so you can see how it constantly is shifting or changing. Well, I, a couple of things. The first is that um, I love your distinction because you just brought up something that um, knowing, know, knowingly or not, um, it's again, another theological axiom that grace builds on nature. And so that by nature, the way that God created us, we can come to a degree of clarity about who we are. We can come to know ourselves at a, at a, let's call it a purely human level, right? Knowing our tendencies, knowing a bit about our own background and, and things of that nature that are going to impact how we show up here. But then there's the deepest knowing, and that's the knowing that comes from faith and the light of faith. And so I jumped from the first level of knowing up until the second supernatural higher level of knowing. And they aren't radically separate, but they are distinct. So what you're talking about in your own journey through life is that as you've matured as a human being, you've started to become more reflective. Aristotle would say you've started to become more philosophical. Excellent. See, look at you have no look idea me. How, how wise you are. <laughs> Aristotle said that philosophers shouldn't even begin. You shouldn't even study philosophy until you're in your 40s because you need to have a certain fund of human experience in life. Otherwise, you can be saying things that like are just like a inch deep in a puddle, but you think that you actually are quite profound. In fact, you were talking about that. You mentioned that you were listening to a talk from a married couple about um, God's vision of marriage, and they brought in their their three inch puddle of three years of married life. Um, I, I'm sorry, I kind of kind of was a little bit uh, sarcastic there, but how did you describe the talk? I thought it was really sweet because they were honestly sharing about their struggles, but the struggles were he won't take out the garbage and uh, he, clean his room yeah his pile of clothes yeah. And. <laughs> she's the one with the problems of course she's the one that's trying to fix him um it was just sweet but they were honestly earnestly seeking god and wanting to go deeper and so they were really excited about a couple of scriptures that brought them to a clarity in their marriage call but they were never able to use what we've used in the catholic faith regarding marriage because they had an either explored it or haven't been taught it, or maybe they just don't have a need for it. I'm thinking, because this was at a Christian church, I think um, when you're needing insight or you're needing guidance, you're needing help, wisdom, you'll seek it out. In the first couple of years of marriage or before you have children, it's a very different level of need 
Um, and then when you have young kids, it's a whole different level of giving yourself and sacrificing. And then when you get teenagers, it's almost like a sanctifying. <laughs> and then that actually brings out a whole different level of... You mean crucifying? Crucifying. <laughs> we love our teenagers, honestly. They're awesome. But you can just deal with some very um, difficult situations. And so it was sweet because they have yet to experience what I would consider real crosses, like infertility is a real cross for us. Or, you know, someone has a, you know, I know couples that have really difficult crosses with one of them has a sickness or a disease, like a depression or something. And that's a whole nother level of what you're called to in your married life. And so it really does look different for each couple, but just to hear their stories, it was sweet and endearing and, but very, um, I wouldn't say simple, but, um, I, I would have used the word. <laughs> that seems like a breeze. Yeah. <laughs> he won't dig out the garbage. Oh my goodness, is that all you're having to face? Um, but you know, I think that more will be shown to him. I would have wanted to sit them down and say, hey, let me just like help you get some better language. And that's me saying that. And you know how bad my languaging is. But like, okay, they're mixing up theology with like the human person with um, the flesh versus, well, I don't know, that's just you know, interesting. So, and I'm not surprised at, at that sort of thing. If they're not really formed in certain categories and language, it's more that, and here's the funny thing, you can't tell them what they haven't yet experienced. Like you can say to them, look, the cross, the cross is really much more at the center of married life than you imagine. And the cross takes many forms. The, the, the dying to self, the giving up of desires, the surrendering of your plans. You know, you can say that, but until they've experienced it, until they kind of run headlong into it, they're just not, they'll smile and nod and say, we'll pray for you. <laughs> What's so great is their eagerness to stay engaged in their relationship and want God to work in their hearts and to bring them to where he's calling them. And for the two of them, they absolutely have like even fallen deeper in love. You could tell that they're already, God's unifying them in a whole new way and they're going deeper as a couple. And it's really encouraging. You know, you get to our level or not level, but age. How many years are we married? 27? 27 next in a couple of weeks. See, I think when you get into your like teens and twenties, it's like, do I even want to take up the cross? Do I want to stay engaged? Do I have to? No, no. I, I thought it was, do I get to put down the cross? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I already I, put, I no, mean, I already right? put mine no, down. There are the new... <laughs> no, you get to a point where some couples just don't want to even like, right. are you, Tom, are you and I really truly trying to grow into holiness in a really intentional way as a married couple or are we just trying to get through the day and you know let's what are we having for dinner i mean there can be a degree of not being intentional where you just start to float away from it all so well, it's funny in the um like in one of the next segments i'm going to talk about uh, how much time we actually have in life to do stuff like that like growing in holiness together but i want to say this that with you away i got to experience one of the beautiful elements in the church's teaching on married on the married call is complementarity that there's a complementary nature in married life and that that's one of the things to look for is that where you're strong you you make up for where I'm lacking and vice versa and that really showed up um, when we were here myself with my two boys and Luciana um, Luciana not only did an amazing job cleaning, she also did an amazing job coming to me and saying, what are we doing now? What are we doing next? Can we do something tonight? Where are we going to go? And I realized that I was sort of like unarmed. <laughs> I just, I didn't have good answers. And I'm like, oh, that's Carrie. Carrie's the engine. Like, and we talk about the way that, that that has been such a gift in our married life that you're the one planning and initiating and, and moving us out, moving into outings, and what a beautiful gift that is. And I realized that in my own way, I needed to stretch into a bit more initiative um, and from the standpoint that we could, with Luciana still in quarantining over her um, COVID reality. I think you really need to, what you said, look for how you complement each other, Tom, and not see the other as, like, there's been times where um, that could be a cross to me, and I need to see it as a gift. 
And so it's really asking the Lord to help you to see your partner as a compliment. Yeah, don't use your gifts against your spouse, right? Instead of saying, oh, wow, you know, why am I holding this against my, my spouse when in fact, this is maybe precisely why, one of the reasons why we're together is that I'm bringing a gift to him and to our married life through how God has blessed me and I should seek the same from him yes. or her. All right, we're up against a break. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kernan with my wife, Carrie. And even though it's a Wednesday, we are talking about faith and family. Carrie is doing me a solid. Thank you, Carrie, for being on. A <laughs> solid. A solid. I really appreciate Sounds that. Like better. Uh, and uh, we'll just finish up this uh, first section of the program. We were talking about Carrie was away with their girls, four, four girls visiting our oldest girl. And uh, I was at home with my two boys and Luciana. Ticket initiative was something that I needed to stretch into. And so with it being super hot and with us really not being able to go to lots of places, I said, hey, let's play Risk. Now, Risk is a board game from my youth, and it takes a long time to play. And I was really hesitant, thinking, you know what, they're probably not going to like this game. Well, it's so funny because in the last uh, few days since I introduced it, I think that's been the most common activity that has uh, been present in the home. And if you put, if you can believe it, Carrie, this game that takes that long, I mean, we played for three hours the first time we played, and the kids were like engaged, and then um, literally, I mean, we had spent those hours playing it. Later on, they're like, "Can we play again tonight?" And I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Because as the game was going on, I was helping them understand it. Like, here's the strategies, and they're like, "Wow, Dad, you set yourself up to win." And I think the funnest part was they started to make alliances, like, don't kill me, don't kill me, don't kill me. And and then, then it was like, let's go after dad. So they all went after me. And I said, you do realize that at some point you're going to end up going after each other, right? You, you don't, oh, no, no, we'll just call it a tie at that point. Well, son of a gun, who among my children, knowing your children, completely betrayed me? That would be the kid who wants to win at all costs, John Luke. <laughs> John Luke, I cannot believe it. Yes. I let him have the entire continent of Asia. You are not. I a did. Very I did. I said. Dad. I said. Oh, I'm just going to put some here, and I'm going to go in. I'm going to take over Kamchatka, and then you're going to lose your seven. Dad, don't do that. Please don't do that. Dad, you don't have to worry about me. <laughs> so, so sure enough. We, we, we went around. His turn, what did he do? He piled them on Kamchatka, smashed through Alaska, so and then I would, lost my five. It sounds like you're uh, learning some geography. Oh, it was funny. No, I just, I have such such endearing memories. Well, um, the next day play, we played again, and it was again. Now the kids are get a better sense of how you actually strategize. And then I came up there today, and they were playing again. So I think it's it's just really neat. Well, and part of it was this. It was know yourself right? Know yourself. And how my kids played the game was so reflective of their personalities. What was interesting is uh, we in Oregon heard that they were playing Risk and the girls got really excited. And I'm like, you guys know that game? They go, oh yeah, we watched this special on Dude Perfect. It's those five young dads who do the athletic challenges. And they said, oh yeah, they did this little spoof where they started playing it. They're really excited. And then they like go away and come back to them and they're all like gray haired overweight they did like the makeup the face paint to make them look like 25 years have gone by yeah Yeah. (laughs) i was like okay it sounds kind of like monopoly kind of like you're trying to oh it's much more dynamic believe it or not even though you move at a faster pace um you know it's much more dynamic in terms of like what's your strategy for winning and then how do you like take account of the other players um because at the end of the day it's going to come down to one against one so it really very very interesting. Um, anyways, so I had to. Um, uh, I we went from there. We went outside and played basketball. Both of my boys have this like, like intense desire to be able to say they beat me one on one. Like this is their. That's thing. very healthy. Yeah, it's I good. It's well, very they're healthy. now a sophomore and a freshman in high school, and I can say that we played a game of one on one on one, and I won. Excellent. That's right. So I still got it. I still got it. Uh, this is related to my keto. That'll be the last third part of our program. Um, so uh, what I guess what I want to say is this, that Carrie, I think that in a very early stage in our married life, I would have said if our oldest daughter was like 
Luciana, right? And even birth order stuff where the first child's more serious and, and more responsible, et cetera, that the natural thing would be to think, well, all kids are going to be like this, all kids. And why don't you have kids that are like Luciana? And it's only when you were like, oh, no, and this was from Mary Grace. Uh, oh, that's an Enneagram 7. That's the achiever. And that's what you should expect from her. That's that's just her temperament. It's how she approaches life. That's very different than Annalise, her next oldest sister, who's just, a, what is she, a four? Yeah, four. You, you're not really supposed to type them when they're young, but I'm not quite sure. She's Well, you get sort of indications, yeah. right? You get these yes. sort of indications of it. And, and how um, I have found it so very enlightening in terms of, um, what I think God spoke to you one time. God made him that way. God made her that way. So I think that that, I just want to, just another encouragement to parents to um, gain the know thyself insight into your kids. And so know yourself, know your, know your spouse, how the complementarity plays itself out there, and then know your kids and how to reach them, how to speak to them can really be dependent upon sort of where they're at in life. Yes, I'm thinking. <laughs> You're thinking. Well, and Carrie, this actually is also connected to, I'm sorry, I should have said their temperaments and their personalities and their tendencies, right? But also where they're at in life. And this brings us really to the second part of the program, which is more about sort of a spiritual layer of reflection. And in the spiritual layer of reflection, I want to go to a YouTube video that I watch. I, I watch typically like Census Fidelium, um, homilies and um, that then will then queue up other um, like videos and so there was a guy I'd never seen before a priest who the only reason I clicked on it didn't have a lot of views but it was about like raising sanctified young people overcoming like laziness something like that and it was like a challenging message to young people and what he did in his talk was basically copy-paste quotes from young saints, describing what happened to them when they were young, um, how they made decisions to be vigorous and courageous in serving the Lord, and any other sort of spiritual insights that they would then speak. And one line, like, just was like a wow. It was like the light bulb went on. And this is a paraphrase. Um, I should get the quote, but the paraphrase was, what these young saints teach us is that in their spiritual growth, misfortune is a greater blessing than fortune. For them to grow in sanctification, growth in holiness, there was a greater blessing to be found in misfortune than in fortune. And I shared that with you and you said, shut it down. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> no, actually has a really good way of saying, seeing life. And I, I think that's just more counterculture in the last probably 20 years than it was, you know, in the previous hundred years that well, we are just looking for goodness and being blessed and having grace and peace and ease and, a nice life. And so when your child is struggling and there's this just difficult situation, I should say children struggling, we're all struggling, or there's a marital struggle or there's a in-law struggle or there's some kind of struggle with, you know, the family because we don't agree on certain terms. It's sometimes hard to speak faith into those situations because it's so heartfelt and raw and wounded. And these are misfortunes. I mean, these are real spaces where this is what I'm saying. Do you pick up the cross and try to find God in all this and see how can I be a light and how can God work through it? Or are you just like, oh, I'm tired. I just, I don't know if I want to bring my cross into this whole mess. And I think that's to to stay engaged in that level of, of Christianity and in faith and saying, Lord, I hope in you, I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing you, I'm leaning on you. That just does not happen unless we have this daily turning to God in prayer and, and just crying out to him. You know, Carrie, when I was in, in Rome in the seminary, my last year there, I wrote like a 50-page essay on the gospel. And the one of the cruxes of the gospel was um, 
at what place in someone's life do they respond to the good news, to an announcement that Jesus Christ is breaking into their lives and is inviting them to surrender all they are to him. And the, the, the crux of it was, will they respond more fully from an appeal to God's love, the love of the Lord who wants to enrich their lives? Or is it a message of rescue that the Lord has come to save you from drowning, to rescue you from sin and the consequences of sin, which are hell? So is it the beauty and attractiveness of God's love drawing you to heaven, or is it the rescue from the pit of hell and the bondage you're in? And um, I emphasized the second part. And my professor critiqued me and said, isn't God's love so attractive? And it got me like trying to like think it through more and more. But I can tell you from 27 years of marriage and all of these 30 years of ministry, as powerful as the message of God's love is, it's a message that really... I don't know how to say it well, but really only has the the carved out space to be heard in a person's life who has come through hell or who has experienced the desperate pain of misfortune. That how else are we going to receive the gospel that begins with the announcement from Jesus Unless you die to yourself, abandon your life, pick up your cross and follow me every day, you cannot be my disciple. How is that not the entry point to then discovering that you actually dwell in the kingdom of a father who loves you unconditionally? Well, I think that there for sure is that whole ache. There is that emptiness. There is that you have those years of searching, you know, maybe the high school years is when you kind of start beginning, you start to begin that real who am I? What is this life about? And it goes into the college years and young adult years. And and that's where things can get really messy in all those years. And I do feel like if a, a child doesn't have that in their heart from a very young age, where they're just formed by their parents, and there's just this love for, for God, which can happen. I've seen that happen too. And it's very beautiful and holy and, and pure. Um, but if that's not happening in most Catholic homes, even Christian homes, life is so comfortable and the situations are so um, placating to the person and to my life and we're kind of keeping everything easy and nice. It's hard to seek out God or to even need, quote unquote, need him. I think that's the key, that the idea of not having like a misfortune in life isn't so much about oh, God wants to bring us misfortune out of love. That's not that. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying what you just said, that in a life of a contemporary American who has any degree of affluence, it is so easy to create a lifestyle that is safe and secure, protected, soft, easy, and comfortable. And the sadness is that is a life that's protected from God. We don't need God. In fact, life is pretty good. And there can be all kinds of um, gyrations that go on to keep life somehow walled off from the painful experiences in life. And I think that's where this statement from this preacher that for young people, do you really want them to grow in holiness? Do not, like, do not fall into deep sorrow over misfortune that happens. It's a misfortune that will break down a false vision that life on earth is sufficient and that you have the resources to live a life that will allow you to really flourish in the way that you were meant to as a creature of God called to be a child of God. No, you need to be able to fall on your face and to cry out for mercy and to be rescued then you'll know the depth of love. Well, and I think in our like psychological culture, um, kids or young adults aren't, don't want to be in this sad, sad, difficult state. Like, why do I have to be here? And, and there's a lot of ways in which we want to distract ourselves from that pain and from that heartache, whether it's relational heartache or 
your parents are um, that's really divorcing. The catechism or... says it's three things: that ache, that brokenness. It's overlook, fill, or crush. Oh, that's good. So, what would be a quick like tie? So, to overlook is just let me just ignore the ache. Let me just yes. stay at a surface level, and I just will put so much noise around me. I can overlook it. So, to fill it is to say, I sense the emptiness. Let me use whatever is going to bring me an intensity of pleasure, a lasting form of satisfying experiences. So it could be like food or drugs or sex or all, all of those kind things of would be attempts to fill it. And then to crush, that would be the sense that says, I'm going to face it head on. And it's such a darkness that I'm going to um, try to just literally fall into darkness and despair by doing self-destructive behaviors. I just need to do something to end the pain that is inside of me. So maybe not suicide, but like cutting. Self-harm. Or, or just self-destructive behaviors. Destructive behaviors, behaviors like, yes. Why would you do that? Why yeah. are you just, <laughs> why, why would you just, just destroy your life, make such dumb decisions? And it's like, it's the expression of the the inner desperation, the inner despair that doesn't know that God is on the mirror side of that waiting to come in and heal and to, to free and to save so, um, so anyway, so that it just it was just it kind of came to my mind when I was just thinking about that one line in relationship to how do we like raise our kids in faith? How do we do? Do we just want to protect them from misfortune? And the answer is we need to really rethink that. All right, back in a minute with more sound insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Carnum with my wife, Carrie, and um, we're sharing about faith and family here. And Carrie, just I want to tie a couple loose ends on that sense of um, uh, giving my ki- giving our kids a sense not only that they need God, but that God is the living God. God is the living God who meets them in misfortune, and, and that might actually be a huge blessing. So I want to use the example of Mary Grace, and um, how Mary Grace was experiencing a bit of a misfortune in her life, and it was leading her to a kind of spiritual crisis, like, Lord, why are you letting this happen? Lord, why aren't you hearing my prayer? Lord, I know that you're here in this. And so the crisis was useful in her life in that it drove her to more prayer, more fervor, more seeking of the Lord, more entrusting herself to the Lord. And you know what I felt so just beautiful about is the way that the way we brought her up, the way that we in, introduced her and, and shared with her about, you know, d- going sinking deeper into Catholic roots. As a 21 year old, she's saying to me, I'm praying novenas to St. Anne and to uh, I'm seeking out a consecration to the Immaculate Heart and to the Sacred Heart and St. Joseph. She's going after all the biggies and <laughs> and how she and her roommate went, drove an hour to Mount Angel's Abbey and um, went to prayer and confession and a confession and then mass. And, and she said, as she was walking along, she was thinking uh, in the, in the Abbey, I should really make a consecration to the sacred heart. And as she looked up, she was in front of a statue of the sacred heart of Jesus and that was like a beautiful confirmation and an inspiration for her to consecrate her life to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Now, that doesn't happen without the misfortune. So was that unfortunate? Or was that, in fact, the most powerful like conduit or conduit for a really powerful blessing and maybe a, like a significant turn in her whole life and spirituality that she would not have known had it not been for that cross. Well, that's really cool. And the neat thing is she brought us there for Mass on Sunday and was really excited. And I don't know if you know this, it's called Mount... Um, Mount Angel, Angel Abbey? Abbey? Yes. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> no, I didn't know it was called that, Jared. What else do you want to say about it? This is awesome. <laughs> it's... She goes, oh, you can see like Mount Hood and Mount Baker, Mount Adams, Mount St. Helens, something like that, a bunch of mountains. And I thought, oh, it must be way up on this mountain cliff or way high in the, you know, you have to drive way up to it. And you literally have to drive like 400 feet elevation. It's not that high because it's in this huge farming uh, area. Like when you, we drove through farm after farm after farm. Long, is it, isn't it along the Columbia River kind of near no, that a bit? No, it was near there, but it's not on the Columbia River. 
it's where kind of where she lives. It's actually like 40 minutes from her. And there's just so many cool farms just to see how they grow hops. And well, I know vineyards and there's tons of vineyards, but the flower farms and um, that think they had like Brussels sprouts and tons of um, this nut. What's the nut? Not a, whatever like Nutella. Hazelnuts? Or... Hazelnuts, yes. Um, but it's all f- somewhat flat. I mean, you have lots of trees in the midst of the flat, so it's deceptive. But anyhow, we only drove... Are ascended really quickly, and all of a sudden you have this amazing view. But it was beautiful. We had the um, I have to play the bells. I think it's on my phone. I should just play it. Um, the bells are all ringing right before mass, but intensively, like the sound of music type bells. <laughs> it was so cool. Yeah, it was not going to be missed. It was many bells, <laughs> and it was really loud. Have you been there? No, I've never been there. I think you should do a retreat there or something. I'm going to play this. Can I just play this real quick? I sure. think it'll go on. Listen to this. That's like about 10 bells. I mean, that's a lot of bells. It's not just one bell or two bells. It was so cool. It's from the bell tower. Lily's dancing on my video. Um, yeah, you did feel like the sound of music when you're seeing this. The other neat thing is I don't think I've been to a monastery or, well, what's the difference between a monastery and an abbey? I'm not yeah, sure. So, I mean, an abbey um, is, I think, the name of, like, it's a, a type of monastery, like an Abbey, I think you connect with an abbot or the head of a monastery. But to be honest with you, I don't know the specific distinction between the two. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't um, mean a to monastery is a more general way of describing a um, um, a place where cloistered religious live, whether it's sisters or brothers and priests. Um, they live a cloistered life, which means they their apostolate, their mission is not out into the world. Their mission is prayer. Okay, that's what I got from this and. We went to Mass. There's probably about 70 people in this huge, beautiful church. It was re- really cool. But they had 40 priests. Like, they were all there. All the priests abbots. and brothers. Yeah. And brothers. And the, I think there's like 20 priests that, you know, did the full um, walking in. That fa- What's the fancy word for the procession? Procession. Yes. Yeah, process. <laughs> that really fancy theological <laughs> word to process. Yes, that's good. The one thing about this church is the kneelers were all wood. There was no cushion. There was no comfortable. Oh, yes. This was, is good. I like this. It's so tough. But pretty much 80% of the people there were over 70. Like, I'm just looking at all these Catholic churches going, what's going to happen in like the next 20 years? Um, but anyhow, it was really neat. If anyone ever wanted to go there, just like for a weekend, it, it's really a neat little location. It's in a German town. Oh, wow. So, yeah, a small little German town. I I have one funny story about Mount Angel, and that was um, when we were at St. Vincent, there was a seminarian who was studying down there for the Archdiocese of Seattle, and he told me that he had done something, that he saw a poster that they had put up, and he was so mad he wanted to go tear it down, or he may have torn it down, and the poster said, seminarians for life, and he's like, why would anyone want to be a seminarian for life? I want to get out of here. I want to be ordained. I'm like, no, that was like the pro-life movement, like priests for life, sisters for life. This was seminarians for life. Oh, oh. yeah, he wasn't ordained. Was he sweet. did not make it. But how isn't that cute? Very simple. Oh, that's awesome. So, anyway, so uh, Carrie, shifting to the the next part of our program, um, just sort of some updates. Um, when we think about like spirituality and, and, and living a life of faith, um, the, this grace builds on nature. One of the things that I think we've learned in this keto diet that we've been following is that it's a movement. And I mean, there are some pretty rigorous followers in, of this, like, I mean, it's like a religion. Did I say that? About two months ago, when we first talked about it, or six we weeks ago, we talked about the fact that there are some people who are more intense about their like disciplining of their bodies, right? Like the okay. Jack yes. Dempsey, the yes. founder of Twitter, taking ice baths and like re- extreme fasting, fasting, extreme, yes, things like that, treating their body um, as a way of like heightening their consciousness and maximizing their productivity. Well. And I, I think I signed, said it, I wasn't on Facebook and I only signed back up to go on these groups, but I think I signed you up on the keto groups because 
a benefit of Facebook, you know, not going and visiting all your friends and acquaintances, but you find a group that is related to an interest you have that's hopefully healthy. (laughs) And then you can see a lot of posts. Like I just signed up for how to pay for college and how to like help kids get through college and how to, you know, budget for college and how to get loans for college and grants and blah, blah, blah. So now I'm like finding all these articles and groups and insights and go listen to this, go if you want to sign up for this activity. I mean, some of them are on there trying to sell you their stuff. But um, it's been, I've gotten like really current news articles about what's going on with college funding and how the government is or is not helping and um, a lot of stuff about FAFSA. But I think in another group I signed up was um, for was uh, something the large Catholic families, you know, just kind of what you deal with in that whole lifestyle. And there's a several groups I've signed up for. Anyhow, so you, I signed you up for keto. So tell me what you found out. Well, this thing just like keeps showing up in my feed um, on Facebook. I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook, but um, it was one of the things where it's like um, they talk about the impacts on their lives and all the encouragement they give. And a lot of it has to do with dying to self the self-discipline and and that willingness to say, this can lead me to flourish. Well, I've experienced more of that just in my home, right? When we think about the idea of being a witness, um, I'm, I'm literally becoming more of a visible, physical witness to my kids about being disciplined, denying self, being restrained, and sacrificing for the sake of a good. And the good happens to be that I'm losing weight. And I'm close to 30 pounds now. So cool, Tom. What, what a blessing. I got a nice photo sent to me when I was in Oregon. Yes, you did. <laughs> you sent me a picture of the scale. <laughs> yeah. Well, I weigh myself every day and I write it on the mirror. That way I can track my downward trend or if it bubbles up a little bit, what that trend is. But that is so motivating. It's so interesting, the concept of momentum that comes as we build, um, build up this, like the... Like the urge to satisfy and to do what is soft and comfortable can be counter, there's a counterpoint where the urge is to sacrifice and to give of yourself and to stay on track. I'll more on this in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran and I'm with my lovely wife, Carrie. So Carrie, talking about um, this reality on um so being on Facebook, seeing all these examples come, and then how that has overflown into my life, where my kids, I told you my boys out there wanting to beat me in basketball. Well, they're, John Mark said something interesting. He said, Dad, you're not nearly as big as you used to be. I can now move you a little bit, <laughs> right? And I'm like, yeah, but I'm also quicker. I'm going around you, right? So there's Take my, that. Take that. So there. So they, uh, but the point is that they are like encouraging me, like, good job, dad. And so I'm not hiding how much weight I'm losing. I'm not like drawing attention to myself, but they are definitely seeing the discipline come alive in the concrete behaviors of the day-to-day, what I'm eating and what I'm not eating. And so what have you had today? Yeah. Which is so, just ridiculous. Well, it's uh, it's dinner time. Well, it's seven. It's almost seven at night when we're recording this. And I did have... I had some popcorn. A little uh, bag. Or did you have two bags? I ended up having about, it was probably two and a half bags because I had a big bag. So um, <laughs> You didn't have a little Costco on. With okay. a zero calorie drink. And, um, and that's all I had until about uh, dinner time. And then I had um, three pieces of celery and three tablespoons of sugar-free, keto-friendly peanut butter. Well, what's interesting is you're not, hungry i'm full like sitting here right now i am not hungry i don't need any dinner that's the crazy thing carrie is that like my body is is saying to me you don't need to eat as much as you used to think you need to eat i mean if you can pay attention to why you're eating so i i'll go upstairs and say oh i want to get some to eat but i'm like i'm not really hungry i'm just kind of bored or just sounds good or i'm thirsty i would do it because i was at an energy lull well, why was I at that energy lull? Because of all your carbs. Because I had the carbs sugar. and the sugar yeah. earlier in the day. 
And so I would just be on this little roller coaster of getting this these sugar carb high and then crash. And then I'd need to just fill it back up again and crash. And it's like, wait a minute, that pattern is essentially broken in my life. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, my my entire relationship to eating and to foods has changed. Where I'm not even drawn to the breads and the pastas and the well, most everything else that well, is our chips. You might not be. So I went off keto for a week. And you know what was the best <laughs> thing I had? It was French toast. Oh, really? I just love French toast. And I still had the eggs and the butter. So I got, you know, the good parts of whatever protein. But I just love the warm syrup and the... <laughs> Well, the funny thing is, is that I remember what that tasted like. I mean, it's only been like two months or a month and a half, not even two months. Um, but um, uh, it's it's like it's it's the whole concept of the habit, right? That whole idea of building disciplines. That this is something that's that's really important for our spiritual lives, and uh, I'm I'm really amazed at like the benefits. Um, and and I do have to get stay creative because it can get kind of old eating only a keto diet when I'm surrounded by so many other foods. Well, I heard you incentivized your daughter to join you in keto. I did. Yeah. And keto and cause she's always, she's kind of struggled, right? The, like to, to get on to a good healthy eating plan and to exercise. So it was $10 a day. <laughs> Can I get on that? $10 <laughs> a day. And if you do 30 minutes of real exercise and you eat keto, 10 bucks a day. She's so funny. In Oregon, we're at the river and she we're in this like parking lot. Mary Grace found this really back place to go on the in the river. Like no one's there and it's private property. We, we drove on it. And uh, it's like a big farm place. And um, she would run up this dirt hill, turn around, run down, go off this dock, jump in the water, run out of the, the lake of the river, up the hill. She did this like 17 times and we're all watching her because she's like, I got to do my half hour workout. I got to get my workout in and you know, there's really nowhere to go. You're on this little lot. So she just made up some exercise, which is really cute. We're all cheering her on. She told us she told us she did a triathlon. So what? I guess that's a triathlon. There was no bike involved. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, but it's actually cute to see her. And she's trying to get everyone to join her because she does not like to do anything by right. herself. And she has to entertain it herself when she does it. So she's like in the whole family, like, we're going to go running. Come on, everyone, let's go. And Sure enough, she's like four people following her out the door to go run a mile or up the hill or wherever they're going. I don't know. Well, and she's going to be off to the Franciscan University of Steubenville. So, Carrie, we made the big leap, and it's quite a it's quite a thing, right? So we, you know, we I know that okay, this, she's our third college age student, and we've discerned every time, and obviously our kids have a voice in that. Like, what are they going to do? And so. Um, as folks know, our oldest daughter did these two years of missionary work, and now she's doing online schooling. And I think it's principally for her, Ben, about saving money, not wanting to go into heavy debt. Um, and I think we've, maybe we didn't let her know enough that we would actually support her financially going to school. At, well, at, you don't want to drag it out. I think I just like, just get it done, Mary Grace. Like, let's just go, man. Let's go full time, crank it out. You don't, I don't think you want to be in school when all your friends are graduating. Now she's going to be doing that anyhow, because she's two years behind because she was on two years of mission. But um, yeah, I think that was part of her. And she's, she's so smart. It's like, you just need to go to school. You need to go to a good school. You need to engage your mind and, and get some great professors who, you know, think and would teach our same Catholic, you know, background. Um, for Mary, Mary Catherine, she just needs to get out of the house. I'm like, girl, you need to go, <laughs> go fly away and explore and experience life. Um, because she has a lot of energy and just really enjoys life experiences. And so there's only so many schools you want to put a kid like that at. And it needs to be, you know, those top eight Catholic schools and kind of knowing who's there and what's going on. And so I know you've spent hours talking with uh, the Franciscan University, the admissions office, admission, yeah, the, the admissions office, just, or the yeah, counselors for classes, right, registrate the registrar. It it has been so interesting because it's been a blend or a balance carry between how much do I engage to clear the path for her and really set her up for success, but then 
if she, if it ends up meaning she doesn't own it, then that doesn't benefit her. I think she, if if we make it too easy, right? If there's not any kind of misfortune or cross or difficulty, then she might bump up against difficulties and then quickly back away versus no, you need to like earn it. You need to put in the effort, sweat hard, sacrifice. <laughs> Um, and so we're going to try to cram all that into 30 minutes a day and t- eating healthy and working hard for the next month. No, I think I think the best thing you can do for your kids, whatever school they go to, is find the right professors and find the right classes that you can... See, now they have these apps or these sites where you they rate all the professors. Yeah, rate my professor. And then you can actually see how good they are, where they bend, are they left or right leaning, Um so it's really helpful as a parent. And then obviously what happens, the best professors' classes are full. So then as a parent, I don't think it's a bad thing to say, let me try to get my child into that class, whether they sit in it. Because I did this at Highline Community College. I just, the class was full. It was the best professor. Before Rate Your Professor, I ran around and asked about 10 people in the cafeteria. So who should I take for history? So who should I take for English? And people were really helpful. And I needed that and so um, I would just, I went to the professor's office, I'm going to sit in your class until someone drops out, or they'll let me in, I don't care. And, you know, I bring them a little coffee, <laughs> a little roll, <laughs> make it worth their while, let me in that class. But I think that's a huge gift to kids who are going to spend hour upon hour being formed in their mind with this adult. You want to make sure they're in that right class. Okay, so here's my, here's my little uh, pump up of Franciscan University. So when we got the class list that she was in, um, I called the registrar because one of her classes was online because she was registering so late. And I'm like, we did not pay all of this money to get her to be on in an online class. So the registrar was like, let me work with you on this. Let's figure this out. And so we ended up putting her in a class that was in the evening and like kind of making the case that would work. Well, this registrar ends up doing two things that are just amazing. Have you sent her flowers yet? I know. I got to send her something. <laughs> The first thing was at the end of the um, at the end of all of this time where we were, we were playing red uh, schedule Tetris, like moving around. If we move this one here, then what about that one over there? Um, she prayed with me. She said, "Can I just pray with you? Let me just pray with you right now for for your daughter that all this would go well." And then I prayed with her, and then I was her best friend because yeah. she's like, "Wow, what a beautiful you prayer!" You are bound in the spirit now. So then the second thing that she did was is she said, "You know what? Let me do some scouting for you." So she ended up talking to a couple of students that were like working in her office to ask them about the best teachers and the right classes to get into. Like, do, what do you know about this professor? What do you know about this professor? So it was complimenting what we were learning because not every professor is on, right? My professor. Oh, yeah. There's new ones. And, we, and then the other thing we did was we ended up emailing two professors whose classes were full. And Mary Catherine was like, hi, I'm new. I just want to be in your class, blah, blah, blah. And both times they said yes. And so we ended up moving three of her classes around and confirmed another class that she wanted to move out of. They're like, no, that is an excellent teacher. You will love her. It's a great class to, to, to go first semester in. So she literally is in like all but one of the teachers that we know of are like top-notch excellent teachers great reviews and it's like wow what a gift from god so for us that was our discernment for mary catherine i wish we could talk about it more we'll have to do that on our next program carrie thanks so much for listening pray god's blessings in your day join me tomorrow for more sound insight